This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Joy Bennett, who says she felt like she was home when she discovered folk music. The sharing of music touches part of you maybe you didn't know existed, Bennett says. She is the director of Old Songs, Inc., taking the helm from founder Andy Spence in 2018. She has performed for 25 years with an a cappella all-women group called the Johnson Girls. The name comes from one of the sea shanties they sing. Bennett explains that the shanties are work songs sung by crews on 19th-century sailing ships as they raised anchors or pumped water. It is just exhilarating, she says. What what is a virtual old songs festival look like? Well, it's a little different than last year because we we were able to do one last year, but it was audio only on Folk Music Notebook, and it was great. Uh, this year, it's it's uh, it will be on Zoom. There's a you'll come into the regular Zoom place and you'll go to different stages like the Dutch barn and the cattle barn. And, you know, just as you would at the festival, except a much shorter walk. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So there there will be five stages. We have over 70 artists. Uh, If you go to festival.oldsongs.org, you can see. The T-shirts that are not virtual, they're real, um, and you can you can get them there. You've got the lists, all the lists of artists. We expect the program to be up shortly, uh, the full program, and you can get tickets for the festival. And how much do tickets cost? Well, it's a sliding scale. There are suggested prices prices at every price point, but you can if. We don't want to turn anybody away for inability to pay, so you can pay as little as zero. Okay. Well, that sounds like a deal. So um, tell us about, uh, with 70 performers, did you say? Yes. Okay. Well, we clearly can't hear about all of them, but if you could highlight some of the ones that you think are the most interesting or just... The ones that you think would be best to talk about. I'd love to hear about some of them. Yeah, unfortunately, they're all wonderful to talk okay. about. <laughs> yeah. um, but I know we're pressed for time, so I can't do that. Uh, I will say that one of the things that we were going to unveil at the the 40th in-person festival was a project that I created called the Gener- Generation Project. And it's about music passed down through the generations, either in families or community groups or ju- and, commu- and communities themselves. So we have a lot of that as part of this festival. We have Anita Best from Newfoundland and Matt Byrne with, with his mom and dad in one of the events that is uh, that we'll be presenting. And it's, it's really fascinating to hear the family sound. We also have the great Gambian griots from Gambia. They are Kora players whose great-grandfather 
came over to the States in the 1970s, and they're following in, in his footsteps, in a sense, in the handing down of the music through the generations. We've got Usted Shafat Khan, who's a 16th generation sitar player. So we, we really span the gamut. Um, well, I love this idea that you had, which you didn't get to unveil in person, this idea of music being passed down through the generations and um, just kind of tracing how that happened. If you could just unpack some of the people you went through so quickly, because I am not as familiar as I should be, and I bet a lot of our listeners are. Like, you're talking about a 16th generation sitar player. Just describe what the sitar is. It's a a stringed instrument? It's a stringed instrument that that looks... Uh, it's, it's hard to describe a sitar if you haven't seen it. It's a very lar- long instrument. If you think of a guitar that's... And that's not even a good example. Um, almost a gourd instrument with... I can't tell you how many strings, but a very long neck. And it's extremely intricate. Usted Shafat Khan has actually been at Old Song several times. This is this is a new project, but it's not a new idea. And Old Songs has been presenting this and without necessarily calling it the generations for a yeah. long time. We're just singling it out. Um, Matthew Byrne and the Byrne family from Newfoundland uh, are fabulous singers. Anita Best is also a wonderful singer and also from the same community as the Burns. The, uh, there, we also have Jim and Joe Bruchak who are native Americans, our native population. And Jim, uh, Joe is going to be doing the land acknowledgement for the Altamont fairgrounds where we normally hold the festival when we have it in person. So we're having aspects of all different cultures, which again, is not new to old songs. We're just highlighting them. Um, We have Sheila K. Adams, who is an amazing ballad singer, and she's a seventh-generation ballad singer from the South with her daughter, who's now eighth-generation ballad singer, and and that's Melanie Rice Penland, and then Donna Ray Norton, who's who's from the same community. So again, we're talking about families and communities. And then outside of, and there are, that's just a few of the people that are involved in this Generations Project. We also have many people who have been at the festival before and are happy to be with us. Joe Jenks, Hubby Jenkins, um, Jeff Davis, Guy Davis. We have a local band, Heard, which is a fabulous band with some Afro-Caribbean sound. They're just, I, I don't know if you've, if you've heard, heard, <laughs> but uh, they do play locally a lot and we're very happy to have them at the festival this year. With their, and some of these, these people will be back for the in-person festival. So you get a little taste of what they can offer because we have so many artists, you're not necessarily going to get the in-depth that you might get at the festival itself. And we are only with, with five stages instead of 10. So 
you know, it's it's a little scaled down, but we tried to make this festival as close to the real thing without being there. So there'll be a photo display at the main at the main stage that will be a continuous loop that you can go into that area. It'll be a breakout room that'll say fo- something cryptic like photo display and you'll be able to see pictures of past festivals which is, you know, terrific. And that was actually curated by Andy Spence, the former executive director. And I had taken over from Andy in 2018. So, but she's still very much involved. That's good to hear. She's an amazing woman. And I looked up the interview we did with you back in 2018 when you first were taking the reins. And you said at that time, I'm not the kind of person that comes into an organization and makes wholesale changes. I want to see how it will run, what I can value and add to the various programs. And now you've been there, it's 2018, 19-plus years. Do you have any sense of that? You've, I know you've performed there for decades and certainly understood and been part of the whole scene. But now that you're at the helm, having been there for a while, do you have any sense of new directions or what's what's in the future for old songs? Well, Old Songs is has always been and will continue to be presenting some of the best, the finest, traditional and traditionally based. We're not just old songs. We are we do have singer songwriters mostly who write what we call in the tradition and has a traditional sound to it, but there some of them are very new songs. Over the years Bill Staines, Joe Jenks has written some wonderful songs. Um but the direction I think it is to push forward to inclusivity. It's a big word. It's a it's a catchword, catchphrase these days. But it's very true. We want to make sure we're all inclusive. We want to be mindful of of what's going on in the in the music industry as a whole and in the in the country as a whole and be inclusive and also attract like many organizations younger people we do have a number of young people who are performing we've got young tradition vermont as part of the festival and we're hoping to make them an annual event with with them and that's uh that's a great thing and of course we have the great groove band this year is again virtual and they've done a little one song but at least they're there, and that's a good thing. The Great Groove Band is usually in person at the festival for four to eighteen-year-olds who play, and they don't need. There's no audition. You can uh, come in. They get three days, th- three days of instruction, followed by a little concert on the main stage on Sunday. So we have that in a very limited limited way this year, but we, we definitely wanted to include that. And we, we've been trying to foster relations, as, as Old Songs has always done, with the community and people in the community. We have a huge volunteer force, 469 people, many of whom we're not able to utilize this year because of the virtual nature, but who we miss seeing and hugging. And we look forward to next year. 
So there were all sorts of things, you know, little, little things get changed over time. And, but the direction is to continue to grow the festival as it always has looked forward to do. Um, and, and to just be aware of what's going on in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've sort of focused a little bit on the limits, you know, the the great group band will be smaller and you won't be able to hug the volunteers. But let's just think for a minute about some of the advantages of having it virtual. It seems like you'd be able to reach people, you know, around the world that might not be able to travel to Altamont. Um, what kinds of things do you think might happen since you're you know, having it through Zoom and we're in this internet age that might might turn out to be kind of neat. <laughs> well, we already know we've reached many, many more people than we normally could do in our in our venue, either at the fairgrounds or in the arts center in Voorheesville, because we've been holding virtual concerts all year. Okay. And so we have the the venue in Voorheesville when we have a concert holds hundred people. We've been having 300, 400 people at our virtual concerts, which is a wonderful thing. It's reaching a much wider audience. Even in 2019, when Folk Music Notebook actually streamed on on it on the radio on the internet radio streamed the the evening concerts we reached people around the world which was fabulous and then last year when we we did the virtual audio only on a folk music notebook we reached people again all over the world who may not have heard of us before which has been a really good good thing for the organization and for us so we look at some of the positives that have come out of this year of virtual and that's certainly one of them. So, yeah, I mean, we're we have um, people who have contacted us who have never heard of us before, who've heard of us through the virtual concerts, through this this festival coming up, who have expressed an interest in coming to the, the festival in person. So we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to growing that audience. Yeah, that's great, because it always seemed to me the heart of it was just being together. I mean, you ran into all kinds of people you didn't expect. You heard music that you weren't looking for. It was just this, this, I don't know. I felt like I was back in the sixties, you know, this <laughs> sense of convergence, convergence and purpose. But I would just like to just find out in a general sense, why is folk music or music in that tradition important? And maybe you could talk about it personally, a little about your own band and performance. And just um, in this era when so much is, uh, I don't want to say it's not genuine, but it, it's, um, <laughs> it's, ah, what is it? It's pre-recorded. <laughs> it's done in sound studios. It's it's packaged. What What is it about folk music or music in that tradition that's important that we should pay attention to? Part of it is, um, and I'll, I'll speak with my, my own uh, experience, which comes out of the folk world to begin with. Um, 
I was the, on the board of the Folk Music Society of New York for 20 years and president for 10. And the the slogan there was, we make music the old fashioned way. <laughs> you know, we sit around and we play it. There is something about singing in groups and sitting around and and sharing music and it doesn't have to be truthfully it doesn't have to be folk music and it can be any kind of music but the sharing of music touches parts of you that maybe you didn't know ever existed um the i remember the first time i went to a folk music weekend that was a residential weekend and i walked in a room and i thought and i just breathed. I took a breath and I felt like I was home. I felt a, a sense of belonging. The folk music community as a whole tends to be a very accepting community. It is, and I'm not going to say there aren't people who are judgmental in any group of people, but it is for the most part non-judgmental and very supportive, which some people feel they don't get in other places. It does exist, but, but sometimes it's difficult to find depending on where you are in life and where you are physically. So when you come into folk music events, there, there's very little about, oh, this person is wearing that, or it's, it's just a very accepting community. So tell us about your own group. As I understand it, you sing sea shanties, and that's pretty unusual for a female group, right? How did that come about? Yeah. Um, in Back when I was in college, I started going down to South Street Seaport Museum, and on Tuesday nights in the summer, they had the Ex-Siemens Institute, which was an all-male sea shanty group, and I got sucked in. Um, fast forward a number of years, I was at... Wait, I want to hear what sucked you in. <laughs> You're a college student. There are these presumably old men singing these sea shanties. Are, I mean, were you someone with a history near the sea? Where were you in college? Where, where, where were we geographically? At the time, I was in NYU in okay. New York City. All right. So I was in New York City. And the my, my dear friend, David Kleiman, who has unfortunately passed on, um, brought me down there and introduced me to this. I ended up being a volunteer down, down at South Street Seaport and doing things like wire brushing the hull of a ship and, and uh, fish oiling the hull for protection. Yes, oh, wow. it's a little fun, you know. Um, but I got into the music again, partially because it was fun. Everybody was having a good time. There wasn't anything... It was just very uplifting as as some of the some of the people may listen to the, the same songs I listened to back then and, and today question some of them. But it was it was the camaraderie. It was the feeling, again, a family of belonging, of being with a group of people. And so and I, I was away from that for a number of years and then came back to it through the Folk Music Society of New York. In, in the 1990s, and in 1997, I was at the Sea Music Festival in Mystic, Connecticut, at the, at the museum there, with Bonnie Milner, who's one of my bandmates, and we were sitting there and going, it's time, 
And we started this group, the Johnson Girls, which at the time, if you would have told me that we would have been performing all over the world, I probably would have laughed. But as it turns out, it was quite amazing. Um, we were at first, it was people didn't how to know how to take it because women didn't sing. They didn't lead sing, sea shanties. They sang along, mm -hmm. but they didn't lead them. There were a couple of groups before us and some of them did very well, but for the most part, it was just not done. So traveling to other countries and, um, doing this music has been really wonderful. We just started in fact, this a week ago was our the start of our 25th year singing together. Congratulations. And that in itself is amazing. A quarter, yeah, a quarter yeah. of a century with the same women? Yeah, don't run me don't uh, remind me it's a quarter of a century. Okay. <laughs> but where did the name come from? Who are where's Johnson, the Johnson girls? Well, it's it's from a song, it's from a Manhattan Fisheries song. And it's it's called the it's called Johnson Girls. And the first line is Johnson Girls. Johnson Girls is a mighty fine girls. Walk around, honey walk around and that's where it came from we were trying to figure out what to call ourselves and you know we didn't want to be like every other group three sheets to the wind uh any of that we were trying to be a little different so you were gonna walk we're around honey walk around and you did you walked <laughs> around the world so tell me some of the places you performed and the kinds of interactions you've had with the audiences it's it's really fascinating. Um, we we've done a lot of lot of uh, festivals in the in the UK, and that's been brilliant. Our first tour was to the UK in two thousand one. I'm thinking, or either two thousand or two thousand one, two thousand. I think um, to the Wadebridge Festival because someone had heard us in in Mystic and. <laughs> Vic Legg, a fine, fine singer from Cornwall, walked up to us. He was there in, in Mystic with a group of of guys that were singing the uh, say, the oh God Port Isaac Shantyman, and they were connected to the Lifeboat Brigade, which which goes out and does rescues. And we were called up by Jeff Kaufman from. Um, Forbitter, Mystic Seaports Shanty Group, and he started singing Johnson Girls, and, and a couple of us were there, so we went up and we, we sang a couple of songs, and Vic Legg runs up to me afterwards and says, you girls sing like you have balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Hemingway telling Lillian Hellman in the midst of the Spanish War, you have cojones. Yeah, well, good. Okay. So that sealed the deal. You were then a regular on, <laughs> on the circuit. Well, it, it didn't. It was still, we were still, there was that glass ceiling. And we had a lot of support from a number of people. And some were skeptical. There were people that thought we would be a flash in the pan. And because groups tend to come and go. But we've managed to stick together. We started out as a as five of us, but we about halfway through um, one person moved far away 
hard for her to make the trip for rehearsals and, and do gigs. So we've been four. We've been a quartet for probably 17 years. So, uh, so returning to the original thread of our discussion on this passing on traditions, did you both looking backwards, where did you get your songs from? And then looking forward, are you, do you have, are you passing this on to, I don't know, daughters, younger women? Is there going to be any kind of chain of lineage here with the female sea shanties yeah there actually is and part of it um where do we get where do we get our music some of it we we just out and out thievery from other people (laughs) singing songs the shanty world the the shanty um catalog i'll call it a catalog of songs is not as wide as some other uh, catalog but there are gems to be found out there. And sometimes we get these gems from wax recordings from the Smithsonian, which are now online. They weren't when we started out. Um, or other collections that have now become gone online. Sometimes we get them out of books. Folk songs of Florida, folk songs of here. Uh, Shanties of the Seven Seas, which is Stan Hugel's publication. Stan was the last shantyman. And uh, what is Bonnie, a sh- what is a shantyman? A shantyman is is a uh, a guy aboard ship who sings. The, the shanties are tools. They're really made for doing coordinating the work. So, if you need to raise a sail, there is instead of doing one two three pull, they would do a song that had a cadence, and it would there would be places there where you would pull on on a line. So. A double pull shanty, for instance. Um, uh, um, Captain, Captain, you are a dandy way, shiny. So you would pull on the way and you would pull again on the shine. And it coordinated the work. It also helped to oxygenate your body while you were doing this. So you're all breathing in the same place. And it tends to make the work go faster. Um, and there are many jobs shipboard that you need this for, which is not the least of which is raising the anchor, pumping out. There are pumps where you have to pump out water, which tend to be the longer songs um, because you're doing it for the longest. You're you're pumping for hours in some cases. But the shantyman actually starts these things and the and the crew will sing on the, the choruses or the refrains. And it's to, to coordinate this work. And they were not sung. Shanties were not sung when you weren't working. So it's a little different than today. <laughs> yeah, that's just fascinating. Uh, in my youth, I traveled around Scotland and uh, recorded Bothy ballads, which were disappearing. And it's what I'm wondering is, are, are there any... Um, is there any use of them in their original sense anymore? Or is that just disappeared on ships? I th- I'm not sure. I, I know that there were, a f- at least a few years ago, there were, I had the pleasure of meeting some people who did, who used shanties for work over the years. The Barrowly Whalers, which were out of St. Vincent, they, um, they did shore whaling 
from rowboats, and they used a lot of these songs for their work. The um, Northern Neck Shantymen down in, and I'd like to say Virginia, and I'm not sure if that's correct. Uh, it could be North Carolina, but um, they have have been at, they, along with the Barley Whalers, had come to uh, Mystic Seaport to, to participate in the Sea Music Festival and also do some demonstrations. And the Barley Whalers are on a cover of Deep the Water, Shallow the Shore, a book by Roger Abrams. The cover is one of the guys that I we actually met who Roger had collected these songs from in St. Vincent. So there... I honestly don't know if the work is the work is actually being done to this. I mean, certainly not in the form that they were done before, because it was shanties were basically used in the age of sail, which is 1840s, 50s through the early 1900s. Um, and today, some places, some ships will use them, but it's a very different crew situation. They were they came about because in the maritime trades, if you were a corporation, you downsized and you, you wanted to use the smallest crew you could possibly use because it costs you money to have crew crew members. So they wanted to coordinate the work and, and be able to do the work with fewer people. It's very different today on some sh some sailing vessels where they have sail training vessels and many, many people. Um you can do things quickly with more people. So so the other part of my original question, it was where did you get the songs from? But and where are we going? Yeah. So you seem to indicate there are some protégés, maybe? There are, there are actually many. Um, <laughs> we are constantly floored with how many people we've, we've touched over the 25 years that we've been doing this. And... A lot of young women as well is, are part of that in a big way. The you'll you'll see a lot more if you if it is apparently the year of the shanty according to TikTok and Stephen Colbert and and a lot of other late night people who have uh, brought it to our attention. And there are many many people doing shanties now. There is a difference between a shanty and maritime music, which is songs of the sea. Shanties were work songs. Songs about the sea are, are maritime songs, and they're great, but they're not necessarily pure shanties that were used for work. Other than that, at the end of the day, if it's fun, it's great. So, um, <laughs> and a lot of young people are, are falling into the same thing that I fell into was the camaraderie of it all. And just the the uplifting feeling of of them all singing these things together it's um it's pretty amazing when you're doing a concert or part of a festival and your entire audience is singing along with you and it just is exhilarating the um more and more people though we find They'll, we'll hear a song that we do, and we can usually tell if if wherever they got it from ultimately traces back to us, because sometimes we change a word, and we're the only ones that change that word. So we can follow 
where it came from. It's it's fascinating. In so that it's sense. like your fingerprint. It's like you're able to to trace its lineage from the words that you changed. Oh, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Gosh, I'm so frustrated because our time has gone so quickly. I just <laughs> have so many things I'd love to ask you. But do you have any closing thoughts to leave our listeners with? Uh, well, the most important one and the, what this article, this interview is really all about is come to the virtual festival because it's going to be great. We want to see as many people as possible. We've we've got so many wonderful things happening. And again, it's five stages simultaneously during the day. The concert at night is a single stage. So you can hear everybody that's many of the people. We have nine acts a night and wonderful, wonderful things, wonderful workshops, opportunities to learn things. There's a, I, I didn't, I kind of glossed over the dance track. There is a dance track. We've got contras, English country dance. You can learn how to do a little Hawaiian dancing. You can learn a little tap and maybe some history of tap. So there are many, many offerings for people at, at different places. And whether you like dance or music or singing, there's there's something for you. There's There are a couple of late night sings. There are open mics. There, we're really trying to make it as close to the, the real thing as possible. So come to the festival. Enjoy it. And the the evening concerts will be simulcast on on Folk Music Notebook. We're also live. St we're streaming the um, the evening concerts on our YouTube channel. So if you have a ticket, you can get to that as well. Uh, register, but register for the festival. We want to know you're out there. We want to know who it is. 